I know how the internet works. Internet boyfriends. Welcome to another episode of Internet Boyfriends. I am Joey, and as always with me is the Will Turner to my Jack Sparrow, Ryan. And this time on Internet Boyfriends, we actually have a very special guest, Kelly Tyndall, who I would say is the Edward Teach to our fictional pirates. (laughs) You seem like the real deal, Kelly. I'm played by Ian McShane, but I'm given literally nothing to do. Got it. (sighs) I'm so disappointed. (laughs) I, I just try to think of like a, a badass pirate that I respected that hasn't been in a movie and that's not possible to find. So yeah, everybody's been in Assassin's Creed Four or something like that. I will go. How about can I be Blackbeard's ghost as played by Peter Ustinov in the charming Disney film from the seventies? <laughs> yes, yes. I think yes, I had that in Viewmaster. Yeah, that's a favorite of mine right there. He he's a uh, pretty great. That's a perfect fit. Let's go with that. And this is episode 39 of Internet Boyfriends, kickstarting Strangebeard. We're going to talk about Strangebeard, which is, uh, Kelly, do you want to explain? Strangebeard is the rollicking, all-ages, long-form webcomic that I do two times a week. Uh, it is about Jenny Brigham, a 12-year-old servant girl who, on the night of her birthday, is possessed by the ghost of the pirate emperor, Augustus Strangebeard. She gains his magical abilities, but also the loyalty of his duplicitous crew. And she soon finds herself on the run from the seven deadly pirate masters, the seven super pirates that were responsible for the old emperor's death. That's my elevator pitch right there. (laughs) Well well done. Well said. And if you want to read it right now, you can go read it at strangebeard.com. Strangebeard.com. Bam! The first volume is finished, and I am kickstarting the completed first volume on Kickstarter right now. Which is why we're talking about this. Yeah. So, all right. Who are you, and and what's up with Kickstarter? What's up with Kickstarter? Uh, I invented Kickstarter. Uh, My real name is Kickstarter. Uh, No, I'm uh, Kelly Tindall. I'm an internationally renowned cartoonist. Uh, I've worked since 2007 on and off for Image Comics, um, doing a little bit of everything. These days, mostly, it's lettering and coloring. I'm working right now. I'm lettering two books, one called Drumheller by the awesome Riley Rossmo, a dear friend of mine, and the other one is called Bedlam by Nick Spencer and a yet-to-be-announced upcoming brand-new artist. I started working in 2007 on a book called Proof, which some people may remember with Alex Gresham and Riley Rossmo. I was doing backup stories and a little bit of this and that and everything, and I, I stuck with that for 28 issues and I'm working kind of on and off for the company since then. But I really wanted to strike out and do my own thing so first I started a, a webcomic called That's So Craven, where my wife and I would take actual scripts from the television show That's So Raven and then replace them with Spider-Man characters. I did that for a while. Then people started emailing me saying, you should do something you actually own. And I thought, you know what? I agree. So I launched Strangebeard, which is a, kind of a, an amalgam of everything that I really like to draw and write. Didn't you do The Adventurers first before Strangebeard, or was Strangebeard before The Adventurers? Strangebeard was very shortly before The Adventurers, because I launched Strangebeard, I built like a nice website for it and everything, and then I was cross-posting stuff on my Tumblr site, uh, and around that time, I, I've got a, at the time I had a two-year-old daughter, she's three now, and I wanted to sort of document her aging, because kids say amazing things, it's just total gold all the time, so I, originally I, I was doing a sketch of her every day, and that got kind of boring, so I started documenting her um, stuff she said in the same way that James Kachalka used to do American Elf, just oh, like kind of four panel kind of thing. Oh, I miss it too. Uh, I tried to get James for the book actually for Strange Beard, but he never got back to me. So I started doing that and then I started posting it to Tumblr and started getting a lot of sort of a different audience than the than Strange Beard because Strange Beard is an all ages adventure thing with pirates that sort of thing. And I realized I don't understand it, but I realized that pirates aren't everybody's thing. 
And everybody likes two-year-olds for the most part, or at least having an arm's length. So uh, it's kind of like a, a different a different following for me. So that's been good. And I, I, I put Adventures on its own site late last year, I think, but I still cross-posted it on my Tumblr. But it was just shortly afterwards, and it was basically a way to have some content from me online almost every day during the week. Yeah, and I, I noticed I noticed that you had that that all worked out. Trying to, get, trying to give myself the off day on Mondays, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays is strange weird, and then Wednesdays and Fridays or whenever I feel like it is the adventures. Gotcha. And now, obviously, you're the one that's influencing your daughter to like pirates, not the other way around. Because I've noticed there's a lot of references to pirates in the adventures. Yeah, I try and I try and pepper my daughter's life with well, not just that. I mean, lots of different interesting things because I don't. Because when you've got a daughter, you just get pulverized constantly with pink princess garbage. Mm-hmm. Constantly. And you you can fight it for a while. Like I, I demanded that my friends and family and parents and things would send clothes that were like yellow or green or blue or red, not just pink all the time. But it's such a deluge. You just can't hold it back. And if you go to a Walmart, it's just retina searing pink everywhere you go for girls. So she's going to be getting that from all sides her entire life. So I wanted to make sure that she's at least got a familiarity with something else she could be into. Like in my case, pirates, but I mean, she's really into Superman right now. She loves Spider-Man and Batman. Uh, she likes, she likes a character called the one Joker, which I don't know what that is, but apparently there's one she likes and there's one she doesn't like. But so she must, she must be a Mark Hamill fan. That's all. She's just like only the Mark Hamill Joker and that's it. The Hamill is good. I think the one she hates is the Aardman version. Okay. Films. Where they had a okay. little kid playing the Joker, and it was like this cute little claymation thing. She really hates those. So like, is it the crazy Armin lips that freak her out? Or? I have no idea, but she just starts yelling at it. She's just you know, offended to some sort of animal core about it. They had a nice Armin reference in an Adventure Time episode I just watched. Where the 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 flying high five one, at some point, Princess Belle says cheese, and they make her lips go crazy like... <laughs> it was awesome. That's good. I love I love when people make reference to Ardman because I think they're the most underrated animation company in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, I'm very glad that my daughter became obsessed with their with their pirates movie because when a kid's obsessed with the movie, they will watch it literally every day at least once if they can get away with it. And it was the pirates for about a year, and then it was Despicable Me for about nine months or so. And now she's kind of like doing her own thing. But yeah, I, I, I was grateful for that because at the very least, an Ardman movie, you can get something from watching, looking at the details in the background. Yeah. Everything's handmade and has a nice sort of DIY feel to it. Meanwhile, CGI stuff is just elements that they've thrown in the background to kind of pad the scene a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can watch Despicable Me now and then point out all, where all of the background characters appear in the rest of the movie and in the <laughs> Kind of disgusting at this point. I did that with when my wife and I were watching it with her the other day, and I'm like, that fat guy is the guy that got frozen at the beginning, and now he's in the park, and then he's playing bongos in the second one. My wife's like, stop, stop talking. You're ruining the magic. <laughs> magic. Did you yeah. know it's only eight minions? They just copy and paste them. And Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> Well, that, that actually brings me into a question that I want to talk to you about. Reading Strange Beard, reading The Adventures, coming from... Okay, Ryan and I are obviously big friends. Well, I know you, you know everything about Ryan that there is to know about Ryan, probably, so let's not talk about him ever. But <laughs> <laughs> we're big fans of Proof. And yes. to go from Proof, the audience that Proof has to the audience that Strange Beard has, that has to be just, like, you can't swear, you can't... going for is tonal disparity. <laughs> That is exactly the, what I'm looking for. That's exactly the yeah. phrase I'm looking for, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't get a lot of that sort of online social media kind of thing. I, I think that there are people that very fondly remember Proof and remember and know that I'm affiliated with, with its sort of spinoff kind of things like Rebel Blood or Green Wake. 
But I definitely feel that disparity when I'm doing comic shows because I get I get comp copies from Shadowline for the books that I work on with Riley. So I'm selling copies of like Green Wake or Rebel Blood or Drumheller is the one right now on the table. And Rebel- people will come over and they'll see all my Strange Beard stuff and they'll dig that and they'll, they'll buy it for the kids and they'll be like, oh, what's this? And the kids will start flipping through Drumheller. I'm like, I'm like, literally at the last show, I'm like, ooh, is that the one with the werewolf sex scene? <laughs> Rebel Blood is probably, if not worse. Yeah, Rebel Blood's pretty, I mean, but I sold out of my trades of that okay. one very swiftly. I mean, that was, an, that was an easy couple of shows for me because I would sell that. And then people were like, oh, can you draw me a zombie moose you know, stomping on my boyfriend's head or something? And I'm like, yeah, no problem at all. But yeah, that, that's another big thing for me for Strange Beard is that I wanted to have, um, and the reason I want to trade paperbacks for it and, is that I want when I'm doing a show to be known for everything because it's a hard sell for me to be like, oh, I lettered this. And yeah. then the, the and it's it's right. easier to sell a book than it is to rhyme someone to go back to a web page at some point. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I had merchandise and things like that, and I made little mini comics of the the first twenty four pages yeah. in black and white, and that was a really good mover for me at the last couple of shows. Um, and then I also I the Kickstarter had launched, so I made these little postcards that say. You know, Strange Beard now funny on Kickstarter on the front and on the back. I made a little wanted poster with uh, a little square in the middle of blank. So I'd give people the elevator pitch about the Kickstarter, and then while I was doing that, I'd be drawing a super quick caricature of them with a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. And then I'd give them the postcard so that hopefully they wouldn't just chuck it in their bag and think about it five days after the Kickstarter ended. They'd take it home and put it on the fridge. That's a damn and it ended idea. Up good. <laughs> I did a couple extra hundred dollars, I think, that weekend on Kickstarter just from people picking those up at the show and seeing it. So it's been pretty good so far, and I've got a pack left over, so I'm going to move into some Montreal comic shops and hopefully get a little bit of from that. It's amazing how badly some people run their Kickstarters, it seems. Oh, there's been some amazing ones. There was one where the guy was asking $800 to do a Ninja Turtles fan comic in black and white and pencil on Bond paper. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It was pretty amazing. I'm like, you don't own any of that? You're not planning on doing anything? What's your product? It was just... Befuddling, and I was really afraid of running a badly considered Kickstarter. Like I didn't like. I, I mean, you look at ones like the Sullivan Sluggers one and stuff like that, and how things can get out of control really rapidly. So I talked with a few guys. Like I talked with Ryan Brown, who ran the awesome God Hates Astronauts Kickstarter, which was one of the all-time great ones as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me, like, he was telling me stuff that I kind of figured from seeing badly run Kickstarters, like don't sell stuff that changes the shipping of your stuff too badly. You have to consider what things are going to cost you to send them to the States or send them overseas because it's crazy. I mean, you send something to Australia, you send a book to Australia, you're looking at sometimes as high as 80 bucks in shipping. Yeah, the shipping's gone out of control. That's why I've mostly moved to digital stuff unless it's super affordable shipping. Yeah. I just can't do it anymore. (laughs) I'm hoping that any sort of weird disparities in the shipping, like I I did a pretty good job of it. I took packs of stuff down to the post office and said I'm sending it here and I'm sending it here and this sort of thing to get some random numbers. Get some specific numbers, but I'm hoping that any any overages from the the PDFs that I'm selling, and there's been quite a few, mm-hmm. are going to help defray any weird surprises with the shipping. And trying to make sure the taxes don't hit me too bad, or that sort of thing either. All these surprise things. I'm very fortunate that I've had friends who've run successful Kickstarters that can kind of give me pointers of what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. What's something that you definitely learned not to do besides the the obvious things? Well, the weight stuff is a big thing. Like, I, I was really keen originally on doing, like, T-shirts or different types of merchandise. But m- my wife pointed out that it's about the book. And ultimately, that's only the only reason that I really wanted to run the Kickstarter was to be able to afford to print the trade paperbacks because that's what I want in my hands. Um, so I might end up doing, like, T-shirts or something for shows or something. But as far as changing the, the, the weight of things, that was something to kind of watch out about. The weight and the thickness, too. 
Like if you can send something in an envelope, then it's sort of a blanket cost. But as soon as it gets fatter, you're talking about a package. Yeah. And then it would become this whole other thing. And then I would also have to be worrying about not only printing something and having to make sure that it, getting the proofs back and making sure things are coming by freighter and yada, yada, yada. But also like having to get T-shirts done from different places. Like uh, one of my stretch goals is um, I think at the $500 level, I'm going to do uh, die cut stickers. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to cost me too much. And it's not going to cost anything extra to ship because it's flat and small and it's not going to affect the, the weight. So I have no problem doing that and bookmarks and that sort of thing. But really just anything that, that monkeyed with the, the monkey with the weight or changed where I got stuff shipped from, like if I need to pick something up, I mean, it, it's, it, got, it could get very expensive very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was really concerned about that because I really don't want to have to spend like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a regular trade paperback. You could get it at a comic book store where you'd spend $17 for it. But for me, it's going to cost $100. Like I didn't want that to be the case at all. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay paying a certain premium for Kickstarter wares, but not yeah. like it's still got to be within their normal realm of a normal book. Yeah, the thing seems to be people will whatever you're asking for, people will spend ten percent of that. Yeah, that's sort of what I was saying. I think there's a like it's not ten percent. Like for example, for me, if you look at the metrics on my Kickstarter, I'm asking for forty five hundred. And the most popular level, like the average median bid right now, is $45. And that's just the math of it. That just seems to be how it works out. So I don't know where that is. I heard that from Keith Knight originally, but it's true. He figured that he should have asked for 25000 when he went for his, and he figured he would have, would have been, been fine on that. But just, I don't know. But he ended up being like forty grand. I don't know how these guys are doing that. Like, like I think asking for 4500 is excessive, but I mean, I've seen ones that have launched recently where they're asking for 15 grand and they're going to get like six a day kind of thing. I'm just yeah. like, moly. I'm all, but I'm a little hesitant of people that are like, I need $400 to do this. I'm like, you need more than that if you want this to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just, you want to guarantee you get some money from this is what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I round it up for sure on yeah. everything. Like, cause you never know. You never know what the thing is going to be. You, you don't want to round down. Yeah. You definitely don't want to do that. You don't want to be, you don't want to be eating any costs on uh, if you can get away with it. Then you have to move to the Southeast Asia and pretend people don't exist for a few years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You've ruined my marriage, Kickstarter. <laughs> or something like that. Didn't want that to be the case. You gotta you gotta learn from the, the failures of people around you. Oh, you wouldn't let that happen. I know And I was very committed on making sure that my product was essentially finished too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you don't want to run one of those like fund my lifestyle Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. Be like, I'm making just funny production. That's all I need is money for production. Yeah. Did you guys hear? Have you guys heard about Sex Castle? No. No. That was a Kickstarter that ended just before mine started. It's just it's a, a web com- I ended up. Um, it's not even a web comic. It's just a comic comic. There's this guy called uh, Kyle Starks. I think his name is. He did this 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 black and white book called Sex Castle, which is basically this parody. It's kind of like uh, like a cartoony roadhouse. Okay, yeah. Kind of thing where this like 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 Ken or Kurt Russell type character goes to the small town to retire and then is beset by the Assassins Union. Everybody's kind of like a thinly veiled eighties archetype. Nice. Like there's a Hulk Hogan kind of guy and there's a Jet Li kind of guy and that sort of thing. It's actually really, really well written. I really dig it. But he was running a really tight Kickstarter. He was only asking, I think, for like th- three grand or something. And he had very simple levels as far as like stickers and bookmarks and stuff. And he went way over and he had no stretch goals after a certain point i think he's probably just planning on banking it and you know what more power to him of course yeah because I, mean, I mean i've done i've done strange beard paying basically everything out of pocket working for free on the strip for more than a year now so you know my my long-term plan is to be selling a product ultimately mm-hmm. so that was always in my intention so i'm i'm happy that things seem to be going pretty well 
really they are. You said that you tied, talked to a bunch of people about starting a Kickstarter and you got prepared on the professional shipping artist side of it. Obviously, you've been doing Strange Bader for a while. You are you were almost done when you or were you were done with the first volume when you started the Kickstarter or because you almost. Yeah, I had like yeah. six pages to go. It was pretty close. Yeah, because there's a what's the submit time for Kickstarter? Like a week, three days, something yeah. like that. When you have your, your campaign all built, like you can monkey around on the website as long as you want. And then you yeah. submit and then they get back. Just let's get back to you two, three days. For me, it was about an hour. Wow. And I waited. I sat on it for the weekend. I, I, I submitted on Friday and they got back to me on Friday afternoon. I sat on it for the weekend. I launched, I think, on a Monday. Because what better time to launch when people are bored sitting at their desk clicking on Reddit instead of working. Yeah. Yep. And of course, had a really good first day because of that. Because if I would have launched on a Saturday, and I also wanted to make sure I ended during the week too. Yeah, like I think I'm ending on like a Wednesday or something like that. I didn't want to be it's ending. New comic book day. That's a perfect day to end on. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. And it's seven o'clock at night my time, I think, which is that's about right. I mean, it should should be hopefully well and clear of the of the 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 thing by that. But you know, there's all these things you don't want to leave up to chance, basically. And if you're smart about it, it's easy to just do the math and figure it out. Well, that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about because we we typically talk about stuff that we are smart about. I guess I, I think that we intelligent we're intelligent <laughs> guys. We cognizant we're cognizant of things. We're aware of things, but at the same time, there's this emotional aspect to everything everybody does forever. And so you had that weekend between when everything you knew it was going to go through until you knew when you wanted to have it up and. How did you feel? Like, is there some sort? Like, did you go through like the state, like the whole imposter syndrome type well, thing over the weekend, or how did that happen? How that it's work the out? worst, dude. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Because the thing is, is that I've got a pretty good reputation in the mainstream comics business. I mean, I've been I've been working since two thousand and seven. I don't think that I've made much in the way of enemies. I'm a pretty reasonable guy. I realize that the business is very small, and I and my wife and some other friends of mine were always wise about making sure that if I had something bad to say about somebody, it was over beers or something. It was not like on Twitter, like so-and-so is a scumbag. Like there was never any of that sort of thing. So I feel like I've been good about that sort of thing. So I had a pretty good feeling that people were going to kind of, I've always had the impression uh, since I started training that people were excited about the prospect of me doing my own thing. So I was never too concerned about the thing going to at least performing reasonably well. If I, if I failed, I was going to get close. I always kind of felt that. But at the same time, before you press that big green, you know, start your thing, little rocket button, there's this feeling like you're walking into a room full of people you know, you know, then just walking and be like, okay, love me, and just hope that people aren't going to turn their heads, you know? Yeah. It's very like, ooh, I don't know about that. So uh, the, the big outpouring of support in the first couple of days, is, that goes a long way to kind of sort of um, to, to sort of take a little bit of the edge off of that. that, that that's, the, that's the first couple of drinks at the party in your honor. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely nice. And then, of course, the slump comes and you're like, guys, we're all lying. That, that was it. So there was five people at the front and it looked like 30 people, but there's nobody in the back. But it's been good. And every time I get a backer whose name I don't recognize is just, it's that much sweeter. Because that means somebody's coming to it fresh that I don't know about, that I haven't sort of talked one-on-one with. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. That, that means the book is getting into the hands of new people, which is what I really, really want. 
Uh, all of a sudden, I just keep feeling all of these feelings for you, <laughs> where I know that I know what that's like to to have a project. Even when you do something for a year, when you're doing your your web comic for a year, and you keep having people there saying, "Oh, this is great! I love that you're making this all ages comic." You know, it's great. You have a, a female protagonist. You have all these things other people don't have. I, you know, I can show this to my daughter. I can show this to my son. It's it's I can read it. It's fun. Like you said, you were talking about people recognizing all the Easter eggs in the background of the comic and things like that. You have this audience. But it, it doesn't matter when you go to people and all of a sudden you have to say, I want to promote something on, on Twitter three times a day. Well, and like, I'm going to be doing this for the next month. Like Joey released a book. Oh, don't bring that up. I have to. I have to. <laughs> uh, a year, how long was it now? A year or two? A uh, year and a half, yeah. Something Put like it on Amazon and then did nothing. I did nothing. You did That's nothing. The, yeah, I don't, I know, I don't nothing. know why you did nothing. It was a solid, like, for what it was, it was a good book. Like, I've read much worse. But you, you refused obstinately to do anything to promote it. No, you got to do that. Because the thing is, I used to work in children's entertainment when I was still in, car- in art college. I would work on the weekends doing like clowning and balloons and that sort of thing. And at one point, we had a deal, me and the, a bunch of the people that worked at, the, at the, the clown union, of which I was the president for a year, the local 191, let's clown around. Love those guys. Shout out. Um, but we had a deal with a, a, a comedy club for a few weeks where we would do comedy shows on Sunday mornings because they were trying to fill spots because they wanted to do a brunch. So when we were doing our clown shows or our busking or whatever, we would hand out free tickets to the show. And the return on investment for the free tickets is one in 50 for free. So that's always kind of stuck with me is that even if you're doing something that, that people want and they're interested in, something else comes up or they're not interested in it. So the the, the amount of people that might be interested in something as opposed to the amount of people that will actually make the effort to go to it or to get it is very, very low. So you've got to get yourself out there in some ways. But then you don't want to be you know super obnoxious about it either. That's the hard part because I've gotten plenty of, of unsolicited emails through Facebook from people whose terrible Kickstarters I have no interest in talking about. But I don't know. There's, there's a fine line between putting yourself out there and sticking your finger in somebody's eye while they're trying to watch a TV show. Yeah, yeah, there really is. And and what you said is even more appropriate to anyone who's creating anything on the internet. You have to be aware of time because mm-hmm. you've been doing Strange Beard for a while, and that's great. But the thing is, a lot of people look at that and go, oh, but he started that comic, like, what, over a year ago? Like, ugh, ugh. Like, <laughs> why do I want to read something that's, like, a year old? It's, well, you never heard of it. You, don't, you, never, you just heard about this now. Like, why do you care that it started a year? Like, that's good. He's been doing this for a year. He's proven. He knows what he's doing. You sh- and it's still going. It's something that, like, like, a lot of people will say, like, oh, I don't want to watch a show until it's in its second season. Because, you know, I, if it get can- gets canceled, you know, well, it's obviously a shit show. I do that show, all the time. So. I know, I know, and that's why I specifically said that to piss you off. <laughs> so, uh, but- he blamed you for bailing on Parks and Rec during that first season. That's that's totally fair. First season Seinfeld, that was not a classic. That's not a classic season. You got to you got to figure your chemistry out. Yeah, and you have you have figured everything out. It's now a time where you're stable enough. You're you're got that pirate swagger that you can put out a book. <laughs> and- well, you actually. You finish something. So few people these days actually finish something. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I teach a making comics class, and the first thing I tell my students is that 99% is zero. Yeah. You know, it's not finished until it's done. you got to get into people's hands. And that was always a thing for me for Strange Readers, get the, get the first volume done and then see what the interest level was and then get a, get a book out and then, and then start thinking about other stuff and then using that as a platform. Because people don't, like, I keep telling people about this. This is my, my, new, my new fetish is explaining to people that success, and even a modest amount of success, people think 
it's you and then there's a big guy with like a hammer and then behind him is a door that's open that says success. But it's not. It's a long path and that's it. It's just a path. There's no bumps on the path. There's no booby traps. There's nothing. It's just a really, really long curvy path. And you have to at some point just start walking down it and that's it. And eventually you'll get there. You, there's, there's really nothing in your way besides your willingness to finish things and get them in the hands of the people that think they're cool. Yeah. And, and, and more importantly, that you can always go back to that path as well. I think yep. that was – Ryan, to answer your question before, that's probably the reason why I never promoted my book was because I didn't do it. I got massively depressed once I finished yeah. the book. I, it, was, it was a good yeah, solid yeah, post- month of just – what's that? You had postpartum depression? Yes. Yeah, I did. It was about a month of that, and then I just didn't know what to do with myself. And after that month, I, I kind of realized like I probably – should have said okay well it's new to everybody else like just because i put it up on amazon a month ago doesn't mean that you know someone's gonna look at it and go this book's been out for a month i don't give a shit anymore that nobody cares really i mean nope. if you, especially if you can repackage it or resell it or or even just put it out there and just start tweeting like you said you were talking about before about tweeting and promoting things and when i first started looking over everything you were doing for this kickstarter i believe i actually even said it to you that kelly you are one of the most courteous, nice, non-aggressive <laughs> people that I've seen promoting anything on Twitter. And you were worried. You were like, I don't know what if I'm doing the right thing or whatever. And it's like I've seen people who promote Kickstarters and they get into fights with people. Specifically to be like, yeah, like Batman v Superman sucks donkey balls. Like I want to say something about this. Like, you should pay attention to me. Like here's my Kickstarter. I hate things. You should listen to me. It's like that's – no, you're being too weird and aggressive whereas you were just very Canadian – <laughs> be known for the thing if you're producing good work that should speak for itself yes thing. Yeah. and then if you've got an interesting personality sort of stacked on top of that that's fantastic like there's a lot of comic book people that I follow on Twitter but I don't follow a lot of people whose stuff I don't buy because it's kind of part and parcel with the, the, the stuff that they do and there's a lot of people that I follow that never tweet at all that I, because I love their stuff and when they say something I want to be there for that yeah. You know, and ideally it's going to be something about the thing that they're doing too. That's one thing that bothers me is when people spend all of their time on social media talking about something other than the thing that they do, you know, cause if you're working on something that you're excited about, you know, you should be able to spread that excitement around a little bit. Like, you know, that, that seems like a logical thing to me. That's, that's a really good point. Cause that's, I actually, Ryan and I were going to have a podcast about that. And then I don't know, usual internet boyfriends thing. It never happened, uh, about the idea that you have to have a thing when you're on social media because it's that lightning rod that focuses you on what you're talking about. You're talking about comics. You're talking about strange beard. If someone wants to learn more about strange beard, if they want to learn more about your, your daughter and, and adventures, they can, they can read your Twitter stream and they can see, I can go back through your Twitter history and it's all Kelly. It's all you. It's all stuff that's related to you in comics. You're not yeah, talking about random perfect. shit. It's got to be tangential to sort of the experience of what you're trying to sell as a, as a, as a, a creator, I think. I mean, people are talking about Pat Sajak right now for the crazy things he was saying last night. And A, I'm annoyed about it because I don't want to be thinking about Pat Sajak really. I'm not five and I'm not a big wheel guy. But second of all, like, what, why, why does he think that's something that people need to hear from him? Yeah. You know, that, that seems befuddling to me. That's why I don't talk about politics or religion or anything like that. I mean, you don't want to get into that, that classic trap of guys like, like, the big one is Ricky Gervais. I don't follow him, but my wife did for a while. And, she told me that she unfollowed him because he was just talking about atheism all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I, I'm interested in his writing and his shows and his hosting and that yeah. sort of thing. And I don't need to hear about the stuff that I, I don't. At least I not constantly. 
yeah, and I don't like to hear about the stuff that you hate. I mean, hating stuff is 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 it's not easier than liking stuff, and it's certainly not more fun. I mean, talking about the stuff that you're psyched about is so much easier. It's better for your your spirit. It's just I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm psyched about so many things, especially having a two or now a three year old in my life. I mean, she loves stuff so much. My daughter loves Superman so much. I really wish there was more I could show her. <laughs> but yeah. it's just like being surrounded by that positivity all the time is is great. And the thing too about making stuff is that even if you make stuff and you put it out there, having expectations about how it's going to be received is it's that it's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, going out there and saying like me saying, "Oh yeah, I'm going to run a $4500 Kickstarter, but it's definitely going to make like 10, 15 no problem at all. Like that would be just ridiculous. And I'd be setting myself up for a major, a major heartache about the whole thing, but you have to be realistic about it. And I mean, if you finish a thing and then you get it out there and it, you don't get a lot of heat from it, that's fine. You, you work on the next thing and move on to that. I mean, the thing with me was doing that. So Craven, I started getting lettering jobs from it because I started lettering that book digitally, which I'd never done before, but my hand lettering stinks. So I started doing that. And the moment I started doing it, people were like, oh, did you do this? Are you interested in doing this for the book? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I did that. And my first book, I got nominated for a bunch of industry awards for it. It was Greenway Volume 1. So it's, it's, you just become better the more stuff that you do. And you, you'd be surprised what sort of skills people can sort of uh, glean that you have mm-hmm. from doing yeah. stuff like that that you might not have recognized yourself. That's, that's kind of the interesting thing about it. Yeah, that we, we just had a podcast about that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, I, I think that's also the problem with a lot of people who I'm trying to find a nice way to say this, but like creative posers or people, or I guess, I guess people who call themselves a creative or they approach Twitter as like, I am a creative. Let me talk to you about creative things. And those are the people who I, I always see talking about Pat Sajak and, and things like that. But I also feel bad because I was supposed to be that person. I, I was supposed to be a writer. I, I, I've written about comic books for, what, I don't know, two, three years I was writing about comic books for. Uh, and and I have all of these I other... I no one read. Someone read it. They were paying me. <laughs> no, so. it's so crazy, though. Like this, like, The whole he... bookish thing was such a weird thing. I still can't say anything about that. So, yeah, but we someday, someday we'll have that podcast. But yeah, (laughs) somehow they could keep the lights on. Somebody was reading it. Somebody loved that site very much. But uh, yeah, I I, I guess I was supposed to talk about the fact that I was reading like what, like 90 trades a month for that job. And I was writing reviews all the time. I was writing, you know, copy for stuff. I was constantly working on that. I never talked about comic books on Twitter ever. It was always talking about economics and and all the stuff that I was like stuff I'm formally trained in. But poor branding Uh, decisions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I have so much stuff that I could theoretically talk about on Twitter and then, you know, stuff about Pat Sajak comes up or, or actually I think to keep it sort of tied to what we're talking about, this was about two and a half weeks ago. I was talking about how much I hate comic press uh, because I randomly kind of tossed out like fuck comics press. Like I was just angry. I was angry and it was a moment of weakness. And I just threw out something on Twitter of like, ah, comics press. Like I, I, I wish that either people would upgrade to comics easel or they would just roll a custom theme. Like, and yeah, sure enough, the guy who makes comic press. So I guess he, he, he tracks what people say about it on Twitter and he immediately had something to say to me made me feel like a huge asshole because i i was in that moment where i couldn't immediately do something about like i i was angry 
and I wanted to do something about it, but I know I'm like two weeks off from where I like two hard weeks of work until I could come up with a very basic theme that could even remotely compare to what comics press has done for the web comics community. Like everybody uses comics press. Everybody yeah. is using comics. So press easy. So yeah. easy. It's exactly. Just like, hey, just puts a comic here. All you have to do is press these buttons. Yeah, and that's why – that that's a long-winded way of saying – that's why I feel like a lot of people who put themselves out there as a creative as like, oh, yeah, I could in theory make a comic book. Oh, I could in theory – you know, like, like I, you know, I want to have this Kickstarter for 400 bucks to have my you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you know, fan comic or whatever. That's so much easier than spending what you – like what you did, like spending a year to put together this uh, creator-owned property to, to ha- get ready for your Kickstarter to have this long-term goal. It is like, – it took me five months to write my book, and that was that sucked. Like knowing every day you wake up every day and you're like, "Well, I'm still you know four and a half months away from publishing this. Like this blows, but I got to do it." And it's just that, like you said, that long winding road. It seems but, easier to be that guy who just says shit instead of doing stuff. Now I'd say it's not a it's not a good position to be in. Ultimately, I mean, with me, I, I would have liked to have done more. And worked faster, but there was there's extenuating circumstances to be sure. I mean, I broke my leg last year, and that pretty much that pretty much put me out for doing stuff for like six weeks, which threw off my timeline for this year because originally I wanted to have the Kickstarter done by the end of February, and then you know things happen, life life gets in the way. We yeah. had our second daughter, and that put me up a couple weeks too, and then I had to you have to stay caught up on things sometimes. Sometimes I just couldn't update the the, the site. I had to teach or. I had to be out or I had deadlines. It just didn't line up. But I always tried to make sure that I went back and, and, and got the got the thing finished. And you can kind of it's it's it is very difficult to sort of um sort of get into the mindset where it's like making stuff is cool, making stuff is cool, ninety nine percent is nothing, like just getting to that point. But at the same time, like I mean y- you also want to be working towards something too. And and there's a lot of stuff that I used to do that I do less of. Like I, I have fond memories, for example, of playing Arkham City. I really enjoyed that. I got to be Batman <laughs> for a while. But I'm also conscious in the back of my head that I probably could have got a master's degree in the same amount of time yeah. that I, I did that kind of thing. And same sort of thing. Like people ask me how I got started in comics, and I tell them flat out I quit World of Warcraft. Yep. I've, heard, I've heard a few people quit World of Warcraft and then started actually creating things. Oh, yeah. That seems to be a common anti-creative thing. Yeah, I, I I stopped doing that. I made a mini comic. I took it to the Calgary Expo in 2007. I met Riley Rossmo, and I was working on proof a couple of months later. You know, it was it was as simple as that. I just made something and put it in the hands of people. And that first convention where I was taking my my little mini comics around, it was an Archie Snow mini comic. Actually, not, not a lot of people have seen it. Thankfully, it's pretty terrible. But just putting it out and showing people and getting the responses back is just like it's uh, it's it's kind of good because it kind of humbles you quite a bit too. Like there's some people that think it's good and some people that give you the, Oh yeah, I need to draw more from life. Or I had one guy, um, I will never to the day I die, forget it. He read my little mini comic, flipped through it, said, Oh, this looks great. And then handed it back to me, which is kind of emotionally. That's like them turning around and then putting it in the garbage. Yeah. So that was a big one for me too. And I mean, you just learn so much about how to interact with people when you get to the other side of the table as well. And like everything is a learning experience and, and you just try and get to the point where, where Tim Sale told me a few years ago, nothing gives you the right to be a jerk to anybody. And I always try and take that to heart when it comes yeah. up to the thing. I mean, some things totally give you uh, the right to be a jerk to somebody. Like, I've, I've come across some people at shows. There was one guy at TCAP, which is the rudest you have ever met in my entire life. 
But at the same time, you just, you know, you don't, you don't want to be that guy that says something and then it ends up on bleeding cool. Yeah. It's like little known web comics artist takes a swing at guy in a beret at TCAP. You know, you don't want, you don't want that to be what you're known for. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a Twitter thing. You want to be known for the thing that you make, not, oh, that's the guy that gets into fights with Patton Oswalt. Over so long or something. Oh, oh exactly. Pat yeah. the, I just he's cruising for unfollow lately. <laughs> he's pretty good. On, I like. I like him doing. It's just a little, a little too much troll hunting. Oh, just yeah, a well, little too much right now. That's all. I love Pat. I love Pat Oswalt. But his, his Twitter account right now is a little irritating. That's all. Well, he's got he's got a target, and and, and Salon is so fond of of painting targets on people's backs. So yeah. no, that's fine. Whatever works for them. He's he's the kind of guy that's smart about that sort of thing. Like I saw the same sort of thing a while ago. It was um, do you guys you guys know who Curtis Weeb is, right? The yeah. yep. remake. He's very very smart when it comes to um, twisting things to 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 sort of benefit him from a social standpoint. Because he got into a thing like I think he was following. Um, I think it was Adam Baldwin, the guy from Firefly. Yeah, the crazy who, conservative. Yeah, he's very very conservative. So he said something that Curtis didn't agree with. And then Adam got into it with him on Twitter, and Curtis totally like turned it to his advantage, like because people were jumping to his defense and they, oh, how dare Adam attack him and this sort of thing. And the same thing happened with a, a Rat Queens guy a while ago. Said that one of the characters from Rat Queens was um, uh, encouraging pedophilia or something. The Hobbit character because she looked like a little kid, even though physically she's obviously an adult, but she's smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, Curtis, he was able to turn that into a thing where it's like, you know, it becomes this big groundswell on Tumblr or on Twitter. And then and so briefly, the- Spider-Man was dating a little person. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Octopus Spider-Man. Yes, yes. but still. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, whatever. It, it all works out. I think it's a matter of sort of being able to see that the wave is coming and then sort of surfing into it. Yeah. And so- I think that there's a lot of guys who are sort of really good at that sort of thing. I, I It's kind of like the Warren Ellis kind of thing. He's kind of the king of that. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of guys are kind of getting good at that sort of thing, and that's not really something I can kind of go on either. And some people just pick fights with people, and it does not work out well. I think we've all seen yeah. assorted people on Twitter do that, and it just is like, oh, you look like an idiot now. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah, well, a yeah. lot of Twitter is being at the same party as people cooler than you, and that they're having a conversation, and they really don't want to talk to you. Yeah, you, you can watch, but as soon as you pipe up, it's just it's sort of a it's sort of a thing. And I'm also trying to be conscious of that too. You know, if somebody says something to me, I want to try and respond to them and not be dismissive or anything like that because you never know. That some guy at the show who's got a kind of a wiener portfolio two years from now can be signing a contract with Marvel. So, you know, yeah. I know. you absolutely never know. That happened with me at a Calgary show. I was one guy comes up and he's like, oh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I'm like, why? I don't Who? What? Now he's a big guy in Oni. So who knows? It's just a show you never can tell. And I will say the mainstream comics world has been not super. I mean, the thing about kicks or uh, strange beer. This is, this is one of my insidery things about it is originally it was going to be a web comic. Originally I, I developed it to be a web comic on transmission X, All right. okay. uh, the late somewhat lamented transmission X, uh, which had like Carl Kershaw and Cameron Stewart and yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, Ron it did Perez and stuff you know, doing stuff for various reasons. It didn't yep. end up in a place for there. So I reformatted it as a conventional comic book and I spent a whole year shopping the first 10 pages around trying to get a publisher for it uh and everybody who looked at it liked it but nobody was willing to take a chance on all ages book yep Uh, i came very close at a couple of companies but it didn't end up being a thing so uh, i'm at the point in my life now where if i want to do something i'm just going to do it 
So that was what I decided to do. And that's why I, I used what I'd learned as a, uh, uh, learned what I'd used talk, uh, as a, as, as a web comics guy doing Craven to, to make strange beer what I wanted it to be. And now finally at the end of it, I mean, we crossed the $4,100 mark this morning and that's getting really, really close. I'm only $375 off from at least making the, the minimum requirement for the campaign. And I got emotional about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I got, I got a little choked up because it's, it's actually happening. This is the thing that I wanted to hold in my hands. And by pure force of will and hard work and effort, it's actually happening. So that's, that's I mean, it's, it's gratifying. It's, it's good to play. It's not more fun to play the long game, but it's gratifying when it actually pays off. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Or seems to be paying off. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I made it with, you know, a, a basement full of strange beards forever. But I think we both know, Ryan and I know that it's not, that's not going to be the case. So I'm going to move these suckers pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, Kelly's yeah, a pretty good pitch man at the cons. Like lots of people are just sit there and wait for people to come to them. Kelly very much interacts and gets things, gets a dialogue going pretty easily. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you have to you have to make people, you have to show people that your thing is good. Yes, and we, we don't have the benefit of advertisement or anything like that. We don't run commercials for our comics or anything like that. No. I mean, some people do, I guess, ad sets that sort of thing. But I don't know. I'm I'm very much a one on one kind of guy. I like people to get excited about the stuff that I'm working on. When when Ryan first talked to me about what you were doing, I I mentally kicked myself because everything that you're doing is something that I'm, I don't know how much I can say about this because I really shouldn't be saying anything about this. But the company that I used to work for, that I used to write about comics for, they would always come to me and say, we need stuff that is got to be all ages and mainly for women. If you want me to write more than one article a month, you're going to have to realize I can't do that. That's not that doesn't exist in comics. And then I see Strange Beard and I'm like you know fuck <laughs> so like that's that's, that's, that's one web comics too is there seems to be more of that sort of thing i mean you've got web comics like nimona or a lot of what's going on with uh Ogloff or mm-hmm. uh Trois. there's lots of ones that are sort of they're they're basically made by women and they're 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 what women want to be reading and the, the thing is i i try not to I, I, I'm definitely not the kind of guy that wants to pat himself on the back about having a female protagonist. I think that's kind of a gross thing to do. And I think it's kind of cynical when, uh, when somebody will release a book and be like, like we have, we have a, a gay character, like as though they should be commended in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the reason that I did strange beard originally is as a girl is because it's a good, it's good drama. I mean, if you're going to be dealing with like pirates who are supposed to be scary people, the opposite of that is a small girl. But sure. the more I started making the book, and the one regret I have about the book is that I didn't push for more of an inclusionary cast. Um, I've got a fair amount of female characters, and the villain of the first arc ended up being female. But the numbers are like, if, if I could have gone back and done it again, uh, there's a character called Red Lewis, who's kind of just like a catch-all character. I would have probably made him female. There's uh, the, uh, uh, sort of the magic user character. I probably would have made him a girl. I mean, the main villain up until just before I started actually writing the character was originally male. And I was having a hard time sort of nailing down a character for it. And then my wife said, well, why don't you make the character female? And then as soon as I did that, I started researching Spanish clothing designs of that era. And I'm like, oh, this this character is super easy to develop now. You know, once the look was there, the personality came. And then it was very simple. So I'm always sort of suspicious when people kind of want like a pat on the back for being inclusionary when that's something that I think people should be striving towards naturally. And I think it's something that comes naturally for people who are making webcomics because a webcomic ultimately is what you want to be doing because nobody's paying you to do it. So you might as well have fun with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> that is something I plan on rectifying in the second volume. There's going to be a lot more female characters. Gotcha. I'm glad that you can say that that's something that you're consciously thinking of and it's something that you're aware of because you are aware that the media you're making is shaping how people see the world. And if you're not conscious of what you're doing, if you're not aware of what you're doing, maybe you should be. And maybe you should be a little, especially in comics. I think that in comics, it's comics is, like you said, it's a small, somewhat political environment, comics yeah, in general. It's very similar. I mean, it's, it's, kind yeah. of, it's kind of tricky to get to a certain point, but there's lots of people around the periphery. See, the thing is, and that, pe- that a lot of people don't realize, for some reason, which baffles me, is that white guys are not on the decline in comic books. No. <laughs> not going to run out of white guys with chiseled jaws. Like, we're pl- there's going to be plenty. There will always be Superman. There will always be Batman. There will always be Spider-Man. And sometimes Spider-Man's going to be a black teenager. And that's cool, too. I mean, that's, that makes more sense in a lot of ways. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, uh, it's, they're not on the decline, you know, that, that's the, the thing that befuddles me. And when you say, I mean, I mean, people have been saying forever, like the whole thing about how goofy it is that Marvel's doing Rocket Raccoon when DC can't get Wonder Woman off the ground, that sort yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which is also kind of a misnomer. I mean, a funny animal is a pretty easy sell, ultimately, especially yeah. if you have a gun and an attitude problem. I mean, that's just, that's kind of the prototype of the wacky animal sidekick. It's just, it's just yeah. Disney, basically. But at the same time, it is kind of mystifying, too. And I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody who saw The Winter Soldier that can't say that Black Widow is one of the most interesting characters in it. But at the same time, like, why isn't there a Black Widow movie? Like, what, what's preventing the Black Widow movie? What, what, why can't she have her own thing? You know, I mean, a Wonder Woman movie to me seems really easy. You've got all this mythological stuff. Azarella proved that there's an easy story here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, the Azarella stuff is, is literally the base that you should be approaching Wonder Woman from. I mean, if you put a muscular woman, give her a sword, and have her fight a Hydra in a, a big city, that's great. I would read the heck out of that. That's fantastic. Make Especially in a world with Hunger Games and Divergent and... Yeah, it's, it's really ridiculous. I, I think one of the big things that people need to get away from is the idea of certain of female characters also having to be archetypes. You know, we yeah. have enough moms, we have enough girlfriends, we have enough damsels in distresses. You know, when you have enough of a female cast, eventually you have to sit down and go, okay, well, she's not just the naggy girlfriend. She's, you know, what's going on with her, you know? And yeah. that's my favorite things about the Melissa, the rise of someone like Melissa McCarthy is because she can be like that weird, anarchic, John Belushi kind of female character that we all know in real life yeah. that for some reason needs to be like third, like like third or fourth lead in a, a bridesmaids kind of thing. And you see that sort of thing being popular. And then you see something like the heat, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, I want to see more of that sort of thing. I want to see women playing different parts other than just like the tight ass or, you know, the grandma yeah. or the sexy grandma or the, the rapping <laughs> granny. I mean, there's, there's so yeah. much to do with stuff. The slutty mom, like, no, it's just it's something else guys. I, I, all right. I, there's a lot of reasons for why this is, but from a writer's perspective, it seems like a lot of male writers that I talk to, they automatically do the standard default. Well, like, okay, how do you write something? Uh, well, it's a three X structure, 
and you use the hero's journey to figure out like there has to be like an old crone that sets the hero on his path and all of these things it's like yeah well you know that old crone could be male or female right i mean it could be any it there, it, it could be even a, a robot or it could be bemo you know i mean there's no there's no reason why you have to have gender is not attached to any one of those archetypes gender is not attached to, to anything and and like you said maybe it's better to realize I mean, that's why fucking dan Harmon. Dan, we, we, I will never shut up about Dan Harmon on on Internet he's, Boyfriends because genius. Although he was, I will say, he was very wrong about Kung Fu Panda. Did he not like Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> he worked on Kung Fu Panda, and he tried desperately to get them to change the villain. Okay. He he desperately tried to get it changed so that the villain was like the mayor of the town. He fought and fought for like a year. That that would be a good community episode. Yeah. Yes. No, it wouldn't be a good kids movie. Yeah, no. But I know. But I, generally speaking, Joey, I do agree with you about Harmon. I just read Graham Linehan, the, the writer of the IT crowd, who I think is a genius, mm-hmm. just linked on Twitter to Dan Harmon's, um, his kind of his rules. Like, the, the, I'm sure you know the essay I'm talking about where he references Die Hard. Uh, no, actually. Uh, is that, I, I, I've read a lot about his story circles and all the, because I used to follow him since Channel 101. So all the Channel 101 stuff was about story circles and how to get away from the 3X structure, how to do all kind of stuff. But what, what are you, which are you talking about? Well, yeah, he's talking about like how the, the, the structure of things and how the, the hero has to have things stripped away from them and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's brilliantly realized. I mean, he's really, really smart. He's, a, he's very, very good at that sort of thing. And the thing is, too, is that say what you will about him from a personality standpoint, but, he's, but he cares very intently about yeah. the work. And he loves it very much. And I think that's the thing that I think that people that might because he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that Pat Sajak's once in a while. Uh, yeah. Seen by the fact that he got kicked off of and then got put back onto his show, which has never happened before. Nope. But he's so good at what he does and he cares so intently about what he does that, that that's the thing that people that people respond to. All right. He's Do you approximately. Do you think that that's why you're not completely insane is because you're grounded? You're, you're, you are grounded by two kids, a wife. You teach. You get out there. You're out in the world. You're experiencing things. Like when I said before about the media being our window to the world, I'm thinking mostly the people I know that read comics are not the kind of people who are going to China and just checking shit out over there. Like these are, these are people who are mostly experiencing the world through comics and movies because they have a, day, a, a nine to five job. And they have a family or they have something where they're kind of locked down to uh, an apartment or a house or whatever it is. And they're kind of, they kind of have a, I don't want to say a small life, but their way of experiencing the world is what they're watching on TV. Game of Thrones is the most exciting thing that happens to them all week. And yeah. that's, that's a normal person. And f- for you, it seems like you are able to have this domesticated lifestyle. Like what, what's your nine to five? Like what's your day to day here? Well, my wife's on maternity leave right now, so basically I, I, I get up I try and get up ahead of my, my oldest kid and have a shower and make coffee and that sort of thing. And then I take her to daycare. And I'm usually home about nine and then I start drawing or writing or working or, or, or social mediaing with the with Kickstarter. That's a that's a big part of it. Um, and then I try and do that until I try and keep nine to five hours, honestly. Like I try and work till around noon and then I'll have lunch with my family and hopefully on the deck if it's a nice day and then I try and pick up my daughter by around four every day and then sometimes I'll work for a couple hours at night after everybody's gone to bed or we'll watch some TV or something but uh, generally speaking I try and get like six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. I don't work late at night. I don't do any of that sort of thing. I've heard too many horror stories of people getting type 2 diabetes or Crohn's disease or something <laughs> like that so I don't want any of that business but I try and lead like as, as, as normal life as I can about that sort of thing. 
but that said, I'm always thinking and obsessing and especially now with, with the smartphone and stuff like that. Like I was setting up a podcast interview when I was at the park with my daughter on Saturday, that sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's, it's easier to kind of sort of micromanage things a little bit, but generally speaking, I try and nine to five as, as much as I can. I also try and do as little as I can on the weekends, although that's not realistic a lot of the time, yeah. but I try and spend as much time as I can with my family. But it still seems like enough to keep you from like the full Dan Harmon or the full like you're not you're not sitting in a room with all the walls are covered with sketches and you're just, you know, blacked out windows and and everything like that. So, yeah, I don't know that I would ever be that person. Um, Just thinking back to my college days, I've always been kind of like a serial monogamist. I always kind of wanted to be in a relationship and have somebody around to sort of get me out of my comfort zone a little bit and make me go off and do other things, too. And the thing, too, is I, I was having a conversation with Yannick Paquette a couple of years ago when my, my first daughter was just born. And he said, oh, you've got a family now, so now you're ready to draw X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Yannick is a very peculiar fellow. I like him a lot. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, everybody that draws X-Men, they, they do it uh, after they have a family because they are so accustomed to the discipline, I guess, of being able to, like, because you, you have to work when you can because your family is going to be demanding of you. So you become very disciplined to be able to sort of work when you work and then family when you family and make a, a sort of break between the two. And, you know, it hasn't happened yet that I'm supposed to be drawing X-Men apparently, but I definitely see where he's coming from because the level of discipline I've applied to my own life in order to be able to continue to work and continue to make the things on the side that I want to make uh, has gone up exponentially uh, without me having to like pull all-nighters and, you know, damage my health or anything like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a big part of it, I think. It's just basically sort of having some sort of balance in your life. I mean, yeah. we went to a, on, a, on a trip to Italy a couple of years ago, and we got back, and, and a family member asked me how, I, could, how I, I was able to afford that. Meanwhile, this family member had just bought a, a, a camper. And I'm <laughs> That's like, one civil way. Don't buy a camper. Yeah, that was, that was a really – to me, that was just like, um, like, you really need me to lay that one out for you? That seems pretty, that seems pretty, like, pretty much like it answers itself. But, I mean, you have to prioritize things. You have to want to do things, and – you have to you have to to tell people how to oop, you have to tell people how to treat you basically. I'm, I'm trying to get the world to treat me a certain way. And I think you also have to distance yourself from your work in order to not not just for your the sake of your like mental health, but also for the sake of for the sake of your work. If you're not taking your daughter to the park and you're not focusing on if you're not mindful of something else somehow during the day. You're just going to keep focusing on stuff that doesn't other either doesn't matter in your work or or you you should have made a decision about something a long time ago and now you're just putting it off because you you have that kind of time like it, your your work inflates to fit the time that you have instead of having yeah. that structure yeah. yeah yeah being busy isn't the same thing as being productive too and it's very easy to yeah. kind of go these alleyways and get stuck where all you have to do is just turn around and drive out. I mean, that's why I try and if I'm having trouble with something, I'll go for a walk or I'll go and talk to my wife and things like the problem with Captain Mortar, my bad guy. I was having so much of a hard time trying to figure out how he was going to work into the world and what it was going to look like visually. And as soon as I said, I, I, this isn't working, and I started showing my sketches to my wife, and as soon as she said, well, make her a woman and try this sort of thing, this sort of thing. And as soon as I started doing that, it, it, that got, allowed me to kind of get out of that rut and move into a new direction. As soon as I did that, I was off to the races. But I might have spent days just hammering my head against the wall just because I was fixated on one element of the design that I thought was cool that wouldn't work in some other context. Like It's easy to get fixated on stuff when what you really need to do is just walk away from it. Brian Michael Bendis, he does that every morning. goes for like a two-hour bike ride. Yeah. I heard yeah. 
He just comes I, home and it's all done in his head. He's figured it all out. And I, I highly recommend the bike ride. <laughs> yeah, just getting out. I mean, Montreal right now. I mean, it, it was an unbearable, endless winter. Ryan can attest to this. Yep. But it's great now. It's beautiful, and it's just easy to just go for a walk around the go for a walk around the block or sit on the deck and just sort of hash things out. And I think with that, we got to wrap up because I think we do all have to get back outside or back to back to work <laughs> okay. or, or whatever. Uh, do, what's that? I got to go pick up my adventurer from daycare. That's right. Do you have any announcements or anything you want to finish up with before we go? Um, yeah, sure. How about this? Well, I'm I'm starting volume two of Strange Beard. Um, after the Kickstarter is done, I'm going to run pinups and things on the on the the site for a bit. Uh, I'm restarting the adventures this week. I put it off a little bit while I was kickstartering. And uh, like I told Ryan, um, I wanted to announce one of my upcoming pinup guys for the Strange Beard Kickstarter. I have. Six uh, pinup artists that uh, I'm going to have in the book. They're all Marvel DC image people. The first one was Riley Rossmo. Uh, and then earlier this week, I announced Mike Ruth. Uh, and today, I will announce that I have Tom Fowler. Nice. Doing a, uh, doing a piece for it. Only I can announce him yesterday, so I'm announcing him on the show. And I will keep that under wraps until you guys air it. Hopefully soon. <laughs> and I, I will watch for that appear to hopefully appear on the Kickstarter a bit for. Well, we'll see. His schedule is pretty crazy right yeah. now. I'm hoping that the rest of them will be able to put something up. One of them has done already, so I want to put that up as a biddable thing. Mm-hmm. But the last three, I don't know if they're going to be able yeah, to pull up the time. So we'll see how it is. I mean, I'm just grateful that these people are, are willing to, to go to the mats for me. I asked eight people, and only two of them turned me down. And one of them purely on reasons of deadline. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty impressed about that. I mean, it, I, I, for in a lot of ways with this Kickstarter, I felt like, you know that episode of Simpsons where Flanders is placed going to go out of business and Homer calls that friend and then the guy's like, Ned Flanders is in trouble. <laughs> Whenever I get an email back about the Kickstarter, I always feel like Ned Flanders in that day. Just like, oh my God, everybody, people do like me. They're not just, it's not just lip service. Being nice to people pays off. You know? I, I said that on Twitter. That sounds wonderfully time. validating. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> on Twitter the other day, I said the best way to get ahead in life is to treat people like people and not vending machines that dispense careers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It's 100% true. That's a pretty good end, uh, no, uh, note to end on, I think. That is a, that is a fantastic note to end on. That is <laughs> the, the best internet boyfriends ending I think we've had in a while. So. <laughs> Nailed it. Yep, there you go. And since we are now at an end, I guess I got to do the usual outro stuff. And so uh, how do I usually do the outro? I don't even remember anymore. Uh, Well, anyways, thank you for listening to Internet Boyfriends. I am Joey. You can find me and the rest of us on Twitter. I'm at Joey Heflick. And with me, as always, is Ryan at Kobo and Kelly at Kelly Tyndall. Yeah. Really tempted to pull like a pull a how did this game maybe like I'm not on Twitter, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally on Twitter. You, better, you should check me out. Yes, you should. You should definitely follow uh, Kelly on t- on Twitter. He is nice. He is respectful. He doesn't tweet a whole lot uh, about random crap. Nothing about Pat Sajak, and Nothing. just a pleasant dude. He's an all around pleasant dude. You should follow him, yeah. and you should totally go donate to Kickstarter. Uh, Strange his Kickstarter, Strangebeard, Strangebeard dot com. Go there, donate, go do all that. And until next time, this has been Internet Boyfriends. We love you all. Take care.